Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. You gotta train for me Because I'm training for you We gotta love, love And revolution to do You better train for me You'll be training for you Episode 40, originally recorded in the year 2020. Often, before permaculture people got really mixed in the mix with this rivalist. It was like, just buy stuff, bullets, beans, and band-aids. We're going to be ready for the apocalypse. We're going to be ready for the uh, Y2K, 2012, whatever. And the, the problem with that is that when you just buy a bunch of dead things that sit in a, in, a, in a garage or sit in buckets or pallets or whatever, you're not really regenerating sustainability. You're not really becoming... Um, you're not really becoming sustainable and regenerative and you're basically going from self-reliance for a short period of time which only lasts as long as those supplies last and then when they're gone what are you going to do then you're going to join the soup line you're going to be a zombie cannibal you if you don't use that fuel that time budget that you have that's burning as you eat through those prep use those band-aids and you shoot the zombies with the bullets if you don't grow your own uh, materials to build more weapons if you don't grow your own food you don't grow your own medicine then you only have that finite period of time so so the what's interesting now and what i think is great about like what permaculture teaches what permaculture provides or what like sustainable regenerative strategies for survival of communities uh, that can be resilient and 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 take shock they can take a beating from politics from war from economic collapse from viruses because there's biodiversity there's resilience there's network effects going on and decentralization in in that in a more regenerative design system and so with to bring that that sort of two objects survivalism and permaculture together what you have if you are deeply in those movements somewhere hopefully in the middle really then you have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D and you have multiple contingencies, including long-term shit hit the fan scenarios, not just living in your doomsday bunker, building a long-term multi-generational strategy to live on the land where you are and, and, and have that, that resilience so that if the internet goes down or the lights go out or a mega volcano blacks out the sun and all vegetation on earth dies, you might make it longer than the people who didn't do anything to be regenerative. And now they're at the mercy and they're, they're living like in that film, Children of Men, which I think is a, the best movie for anybody to watch right now. I would recommend is it's all about the politics of the Fugees who are like the refugees that all the European nations are trying to block the revolutionaries, trying to fight the borders. And then they do talk about about a pandemic flu and they had this uh, sci-fi narrative about um about it's legal to kill yourself now and so the drug companies provide you like a suicide drug that they call it sleep and all or something like that it's it's so on fucking point with the politics and the mayhem and the madness and uh it's very well shot the way they shot it and the documentary these poli sci 
people or like very sophisticated academics. And one of the first films that I'm aware of where really high level critical academics were were, were the technical advisors for, for a movie because they wanted to tell a prophetic story about how shit's going to go down with overpopulation, with scarcity. And, and yeah, I, I just want to pitch that, throw that out there and, uh, and, and slow down. I'll slow down and back up a little bit and just say that like, to me, the common denominator, mask, no mask, burning masks or scuba gear and whatever. If you don't have a plan B that involves burrowing into a beautiful, gorgeous, healthy, sustainable, rich in clean water and rich in clean soil and rich in perennial food crops, you are always going to be at the mercy. So I don't care how much of a fucking anarchist you are or a hacker or whatever. I love all that stuff, but you can't eat. You even can't eat Bitcoin, you know what I mean? Like, but you can use Bitcoin to buy land now, you know, take some profits by buying land. And that is kind of where, where I want to kind of segue. And it's another rabbit hole. And I think the permaculture rabbit hole for people who've experienced it, like people who know permaculture, when they discover Bitcoin and they go in that rabbit hole, they're like, ah, wow, this is just as fascinating and just as infinite and gripping and as, um, as it was getting into permaculture. So it's a gift for me as a delegate of that movement to just have this space that you're, you're really graciously allowing me to kind of expound upon this passion. Right now I'm off grid. I'm in the coastal mountains, Southern California on a um, massive mega multi-acre property that uh, has um, features of uh, spiritual retreat, features of, uh, of commercial farmland, and uh, has a beautiful long legacy of, um, of perennial vegetable farming and perennial medicinal and ornamental herb farming. And, uh, and over the last ten, five, 10 years, there's been kind of pulses and waves of guerrilla permaculture designers who have come in and basically they use the word terraforming to make it more like earth so basically you could take a desert anywhere on the earth or in the galaxy you take a dead zone it could be a dead zone or it could just be like a kind of a barren desert where there is life and there's some rainfall but it only comes once a while and then there's sun baking down you can basically the, this would be the simplest pitch for what where i'm in i i am in a human engineered oasis in the desert that has abundance of moisture, endless opportunities to capture rainwater and drink clean and healthy rainwater. And then what we do in permaculture is we borrow the, um, the intelligence of the forest and basically extrapolate the design um, systems of the forest that are the most productive ecological systems on earth. If you marry that with swamps and with uh, wetlands, then you get even more productive production. But if you imagine this is the real matrix moment of seeing the battery field of the bodies and knowing, oh my God, we're actually being farmed. This is the, this is the, the visual I'd like to, to have. You know, if you were flying over me right now, you would see what looks like a sort of hobbit village something out of lord of the rings where people are farming but they're actually growing gardens and those gardens are nested within trees and forests and some of those trees are fruit trees and nut trees and it's actually tucked away and what what anthropologists would call a horticultural society we're using your hands and basic hand tools and you're not using animals to draw plows and you're not using machines and fossil fuels to poison the soil and grow one single annual crop that is filled with pesticides because when you grow only one crop at a time, you attract more pests constantly in this, this arms race with nature and you're pushing the evolution. So here I am, I've got ponds all around me. I watch birds drink from my ponds. There's toads all around me. There's wild rabbits all around me. I am surrounded by 
all kinds of what people will be afraid of, usually rodents. And, and I'm learning to live in harmony and shrink my garbage footprint, composting my shit, composting my piss, seeing the value of waste products. And then just like a forest, like does a forest need to be irrigated by pipes coming in of plastic? Does a forest need people to fight the pests? No, there's all of these checks and balances in a biodiverse ecosystem. And if you're a tourist in nature to just go hiking in the woods, you might smell the fresh soil and you might get some of the vibes, the woo-woo hippie vibes of being out there in an old growth forest, for example. But there are people who founded the permaculture movement were the farmers and the loggers who were in the agricultural um, academic sector and just looking at all of the damage that was done and realizing that what had happened after World War II uh, is, you could call it conspiracy theories, but I think you can follow the money, is that I mean, the most cynical thing we could think about about modern industrial agriculture, chem ag, what they call it, is that after the war, they had all these toxic chemicals. They didn't know how to retool those, those, um, those industries for anything peacetime. So they just started dumping it on the landscape, just like they were def- you know, they've been defoliating crops. They've been building all these toxic chemicals. So, hey, maybe we can kill pests and weeds with this stuff. And then there was the Green Revolution. Even pre-globalization, the Green Revolution was the companies of the West pumping toxic chemicals and forcing a a drug addict-like dependence, depleting the nutrients of the soil, washing out the nutrients uh, with over-irrigation and, 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 and there's that's like the whole World Bank IMF um, death grip on, on the globe's agricultural systems. It's not resilient. And then you have Monsanto's Terminator seeds where they will sue you if, if, if any of their seeds propagate without, your, without paying their patent you know, fees. We used to know how to fish and now we have to buy poisoned fish from the poisoned fish market. And, and we're all set up to be slaves of pandemics left and right because our, our total immune um, capacity is depleted by all the toxins. If you're not, if you're not growing your own food and knowing what goes into the soil and and maintaining and nurturing that ecosystem, you're going to be buying poisons and buying poisonous food and then paying the doctor to to hopefully patch you up so you can hobble along and die a painful slow death here as you age versus like what we should know about traditional ancestral diets that are based on local food, food that is homegrown, handgrown. And so there are people like, let's say, talking about Bitcoin and crypto, there are definitely people who, and a a small few who I've heard of all the podcasts I've consumed and all of the conferences and whatnot, who are hip to the, the synergies between decentralized soil fungal networks and decentralized computer networks and if people they study the history of the internet and they and they know the hippie acid heads that built this first spreadsheets and built the first internet-based technologies were actually doing things very similar to permaculture in terms of biomimicry and building human systems and human um, designs and, and and checks and politics even governance based on how communication works and how decentralized networks and self-healing networks work there's even a, a, a there's even a a theory that before massive uh, deforestation to plow and plow the United States and turn it into a dust bowl, before the dust bowl happened with all of that overgrazing and desertification from monocrop cattle um, farming and monocrop wheat and the, the annual cereal grain crops, before that, some people would say that there was a fungal internet connecting the, the, the left coast to the right coast of North America. 
because of the trees being connected by soil fungus, like from one. And so that means they could communicate. And there's so much beauty and magic. You could check out uh, Secret Life of Plants. It's going from monoculture, which is centralization, to polyculture, which is decentralization. So if you mash that stuff up and you are fully geeked out into crypto and you've read a million white papers and you're still buying like, TV dinners or something, I don't know what millennials are eating these days, but... If you apply that hacker sense to ecology and you start to merge the, the hacker mentality with, um, with nature, uh, and there's people who have talked about proof of, of soil integrity as like, a, as like a consensus algorithm basis where you could track the value of a, of, a, of a crypto token based on factors of how resilient your ecosystem is and it's all and all would be based on oracles. You ultimately fantasize about being completely non-toxic how can i because nature produces no waste that's the beauty of it there's no waste in nature i mean only ever would you see like a dead zone around like a volcano where in very few places on earth where it's a dead zone right even the hottest places they call them thermophilic bacteria they can live in some of the hottest geysers life is so abundant and so resilient there are few places naturally on earth that are actually um, uninhabitable by microbiology and nature doesn't produce toxic waste normally. And even when it does, fungus will come in there, colonize it, consume it, and turn it back into something that plants and animals can eat again. So that's the goal. Can you go from 100% toxic um, lifestyle to a 100% non-toxic lifestyle? And that is a continuum. And really it's about... I think that it's, it's really all about ethics and really all about this sort of game theory of how how can I stop buying new things and stop creating more, more adding fuel to the fire of earth rape by buying new things that are built in toxic factories based on slave labor, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that a typical lefty or green lefty social justice warrior would be, would be against when you start to say, okay, let's try to stop buying new things, reduce, reuse, recycle, repair, and actually start to um, harvest the wreckage, the wasteland wreckage of modernity and use it. Like for right now, I've got all these kiddie pools, which make great barriers for the gophers for now, if I put them on pallets. Do I want to look at that eyesore forever? No. Do I want that material to disappear and be thrown away? Well, maybe I don't put it in a landfill. Maybe I, I grow some vines over it and eventually can bring in the appropriate profile of, of uh, fungus that will actually um, make it inert and actually make it safe in, in the ecosystem. And what's interesting about the fossil fuels, like if we want to talk about what the rules are and and how, how how we interact. If you're going to be a total purist, be like naked and afraid meets. Um, how do you go from the naked and afraid show to clothed and unafraid because you grew your food and you kill you hunted animals and made your skins out of them? The long term game of that to be totally divorced and free from the karma of the toxic world that's going to take generations. We didn't get here overnight, mm -hmm. and we're going to have to go down that what some people call the the um, uh, the energy descent curve, assuming that we're going to reach peak oil, that shale gas and fracking and whatnot, they're going to continue to fail. And ultimately, we will be forced painfully to have a sharp 
a sharp descent into Mad Max. Nobody had a plan B. And you can't only be an island of resilience and, re and being regenerative because no matter how many millions of dollars I put into guns and ammo and trees and plants and gardens and attack dogs and everything, I'm no match for the, the, the marauders of, of any settlement. And that's that Mad Max and Conan the Barbarian that's Eurasia for thousands of years since the beginning of civilization. You don't get to settle down and not be attacked by way more tactically advantageous nomadic marauders. So there's this, there's also a beauty and elegance and gypsies and the idea of you're not going to be poisoned with your own shit and attract rats and get the Black Plague if you only shit a few times within a few square miles before you're moving on to the next, chasing the next fruit harvest. And I have, I would say, I'm not world famous for this, but I have very much gone beyond the hippie, woo-woo, utopian pacifism of, of a lot of sustainability folks. And I bring in the military tactical um, advisors to do what I call tactical permaculture, where if you can imagine growing sugarcane and doing a foot patrol of a perimeter of a site with sharpened sugarcane staffs that are good for walking and ergonomics of walking, and then you can take bites off that sugarcane, chew on it, get calories from it and stab somebody and do what the VC did, which is put human feces on it and actually kill somebody very easily through infection with that. It's not the prettiest thing to think about, but hey, if it's between you raping my family and my tribe and stealing my shit, and you can only have so many bullets, so you can grow the materials very quickly with the same types of, of plants that were used by natives all over the world to make bows and arrows. Actually, I heard there was an amazing article about how crypto cryptography and the crossbow have an interesting, what do you call it, great leap forward for tactics, but... Weapons, guns, yeah, I don't like lead poisoning. A lot of the military people who I learned from, they're all fucked up because they've been, they have to train so much and fire so many fucking rounds. Deaf with tinnitus practically, they're shell-shocked, their heads, they got traumatic brain injury from all the explosions. Even if they're not in combat and they're just SWAT team training, they have to do the flashbangs and things for training and whatnot. And so they end up really fucked up. And I just pray that we will soon get to a world where we actually have laser guns that are also green, <laughs> like technology for war. But that's a whole, I'm not, I, you know, I don't know where to even start with that, but at least primitive guerrilla warfare and defensive tactics, we can learn a lot. And actually the special forces and the ranger schools, if you look at the history of the, um, the, the uh, army rangers, they actually developed, if I remember correctly, which I could be corrected on this, I'm not a military historian, but it was the it was the, 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 the conquering of the, the Western frontier, learning how Native Americans fought unconventionally is what gave the edge to American revolutionary warriors and built that foundation of very specialized tactics that, that didn't that didn't involve really dumb clunky warfare of, okay, here comes the army, and it's like a chessboard or risk. It's Everybody's flaunting all of their weapons, and it's just fodder on top of fodder, and then just all this dead bodies, and then that leads to pandemic disease. You got to think about the biggest pandemic flu was on, it was the side effect, really, of World War One, but yeah, I mean, we got, I mean, ecology, human ecology, the ecology of war, tactical defense of, of permaculture sites. If you build something you truly love and you're going to defend that property, I think it makes a man out of people, you know, it's really a transformative experience to have 
something beautiful that you love, that you put your heart and soul in, that feeds you and your family and your tribe. And those are the most resilient warriors on earth, the mercenaries, the people just doing it for money. Did you know they did tests to prove that a lot of soldiers in war, if they're just fighting rich men's war for for geopolitical gains, they will actually shoot mo- the majority of their bullets above their targets because they don't really, they're not really, their heart's not in it and they're not fighting for something real. So the real warriors, I mean, Vietnam was, had so many different waves of um, colonizing and the Philippines too. I love like village warrior permaculture. And that's what permaculture is actually based on is this, the study of resilient horticultural societies that have survived the, the imperial invasions and survived the, 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 the corporate invasions and globalization and still have so much to teach us while they're still among us. And that is really the synthesis. Like, so if you read, for example, the permaculture design manual, it's like hundreds and hundreds of pages called the big black book. And it's basically, if you were an army special forces operative who was gonna be sent behind enemy lines, the same sort of spirit of like being able to be deployed anywhere in the world and know how to read the soil profile, know how to harvest that rainwater and orient your garden towards the maximum solar um, angle throughout the year and to harvest even heat and to do all kinds of things to survive. So you should be able to become like a Swiss army knife. So all of this James Bond, whatever, all of this like sort of um, mystique around the badass warrior, even the ones I think that are great that can, um, like Sky, uh, I think his name's Tick Tickner. He was on that, this one reality show called The Colony. And you could Mm -hmm. see how like these guys, they know how to eat bugs. They're not afraid to eat bugs. They know how to not shit near the water table and shit far from water sources. They have survival training and so much resilience. And with permaculture, these types of people, and actually I should say too that um, one of the most prominent voices in in permaculture, he's considered the crown prince since the founder passed, this uh, gentleman, Jeff Lawton, who I've had the pleasure to meet. He has worked for the U.S. military as a permaculture design consultant to try to help use ecological techniques to um, prevent erosion on levees and the, I think that was his thing was give me access to your bombers I will I will do earthworks from above and terraform terraform the landscape and then drop seed bombs and use all of this weaponry to actually build resilient ecosystems I mean imagine if all of the ancient orange and all of the, the napalm was actually regenerative seeds and you actually built a perimeter of blackberry bushes and then we can be fighting fair and leaving no toxic legacy no fucking minefields no fucking depleted uranium so uh, men are going to fight over over sex and power and money and and before the toxic uh, chemical industry came about um there are all of the fucking battles of the world. You'll see the ruins of temples. You'll see the ruins of aqueducts. All that shit was organic. You know what I mean? I love watching old movies where you get to be, oh my God, like there's no, I don't just even, I was watching the princess bride the other day and it was, oh, I just love that there's no plastic anywhere in this film. And they had to, maybe they're wearing synthetic costumes at some level, but you don't have to be too woo woo or on acid or mushrooms necessarily. It helps, but where you just go, wow, this is an organic environment. And it's just a breath of fresh air. Literally, no fucking joke. That's that's probably what, what sells it the best, to be somewhere where you see that. What's also beautiful about understanding, if you study permaculture, which it is like, a, it's there's a, there's a, a standard 72-hour permaculture design course 
certification course. And uh, that's basically like the, the, the matrix Morpheus Neo experience of really getting recalibrated to think like the earth really and to understand these soil, water, structures and waste systems and just looking at the earth how it functions without people how it functions with people who are fully integrated into it in a sustainable way and then how we're fucking that up and how we can walk back towards the trunk off of the edge of the branch before we snap and fall and die as many civilizations have like every civilization has failed just like every fiat currency has failed right and uh and so to 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 walk back from that edge of the the, the, the branch to the to the trunk, which is the, the deeper resilient lifestyle, there are things that anybody can do. I've built as a professional permaculture designer, which has been my my day job for, you know, over 10 years uh, until I got financially free thanks to Bitcoin. And now I kind of work for myself and I can still teach. I was out there building um, kitchen sink counter sprout farms with um, mason jars and just a handful of sunflower sprout sunflower flower sprouts or um you, if you like legumes which some people are iffy on with paleo stuff but like you can you know, peas are kind of a less uh, a less harmful kind of legume but you can choose your favorite even brown rice will sprout and uh there's all kinds of sproutables so you can be a kitchen farmer with the highest yield, highest nutrient density, and shortest time to harvest from planting, if you will, rather than waiting months or seasons or even years with fruit trees, you can have a three-day turnaround harvest of green, living, even um, chlorophyll-rich, uh, and you're actually burning some of the calories from the cereal grains and the legumes, so they're less calorie-rich if you're concerned about that, and you also transform the toxic poisonous chemicals that destroy people's guts uh, to a large degree by sprouting. So there's no excuse of all the excuses. I'm not saying you're making excuses, but believe me, you know, I've been there too. And all of my clients in permaculture are people who are like, if I have more money than time, I want you to build these systems for me, either in my backyard, my balcony, give me the sprouting kit, get me started. It gets, it's really about set and forget. And I should really point this out as well. This is about being a lazy gardener because nature does all the work for you if you design the system up front correctly. We have this hyper-masculine, monoculture, really centralized model. Most farmers don't even grow food that they eat. They import their, their food for their, for their pantry and their refrigerator, and they grow a giant field of poisonous monocrops. They got to put on hazmat gear to even go out into their farm anymore. And they co- it costs them so much money, the government has to subsidize them. You could not be any less sustainable. And anybody who appreciates the fuckery of the central bank system, you've got to get into, you want to like have something to fucking bully intellectually, bully chem ag and look at, don't need to buy land. You don't need to be a homesteader. You don't need to be Ted Kaczynski and relinquish everything. You can be the most sophisticated ecological digital nomad and really serve no master and, uh, and be, be, be able to also reboot your ecosystem anywhere in the world in only a short, very short amount of time. It's all about what we call accelerated succession because compost doesn't really happen often the same way in nature. You, when we have compost for organic gardening, and I know your people are some of the biggest, still very sophisticated, like flower gardeners and vegetable gardeners. I think that blows away, the market there blows away almost any other uh, industrialized nations like gardening market. Compost worms too, that's another thing. People can do compost worms under their sink and actually 
rapid cycle, accelerate the composting cycle by just really optimizing what nature does slowly. Nature will compost things very slowly, but if you get in that action and you turn the compost pile by hand, if you have something the size of like car, a carport or something outside, you can, you can build a compost heap and it's a little bit more, more overhead, but even people will, will feed uh, food scraps, kitchen scraps to to, to red wiggler compost worms in little buckets under their sink. And that will produce, they eat their weight in food scraps a day and their worm castings, the worm excrement is actually a very, one of the most nutrient dense plant foods in the world. And it costs, I mean, that you can make a tea of that. They call it compost tea. And that is like liquid gold. I mean, the you know, boutique farming of herbs, we're not even getting into how much of a entrepreneur you can be when you get into those grooves and those sweet spots of like maximizing the natural potential of, of ecological economics, man. We're talking about, you want to talk about yield farming and DeFi phenomenon and the DeFi yield farming came out. I was literally planting hundreds of uh, sweet potatoes, yams, technically sweet potatoes, what the varieties I was using. And I'm like, I'm going to get so many seeds from this. I even know people now, they will buy fruit and they will take the seeds out of the fruit, properly dry them and clean them, package them and sell them back for more than they paid for the fruit for. Regenerative yield. And there's just all kinds of hacks that you can do that are actually net benefits. And I should say there's a, there's a, there's a thesis, uh, I believe, um, that, uh, that the entire Amazon rainforest is the passive byproduct of appropriate human occupation of the landscape. So you wouldn't have the biodiversity of the Amazon rainforest if people weren't there eating seeds and shitting them out and spreading and extending the forest. So anybody who's Malthusian and misanthropic and oh, humans are the problem and deep ecology, that narrative is actually wrong. We create, in Jeff Lawton's words, humans were and can still be the most beneficial element in an ecosystem. And of course, the wisdom of Turtle Island, a lot of the, um, myth, uh, the uh, cosmologies of Native Americans is that humans are very low on the totem pole of animal intelligence. We're very like slow, very dumb. Our eyesight is poor. We don't have fangs, claws. We're pretty defenseless and we have to wear animal clothes to even survive. We have to learn their patterns and optimize and fine tune based on the resilience of wild nature. So what are we here to do? Just foster and facilitate the functioning of the systems and help move things around and, uh, and, and really serve and build soil and then everybody wins and there's less to fight over because there's more abundance i mean that's really like if you want to talk about peace and conflict and sustainability it's about like if you have these systems built you know at whatever level if my neighbor has a garden <laughs> because i taught them how to grow it and i gave them the seeds to do it that's that one less fucking person i have to worry about shooting in the zombie apocalypse so you just got to take that and run with it you know i don't want to say there's no excuse but i want to say there's endless endless opportunity to obtain yields and to actually do what we call banking on the earth investing in the earth bank and so for example i balance my portfolio between ecological preparedness i.e my, my my permaculture design system and then of course dirty fiat when i have to have some to get by and do a few things but uh between crypto and fiat and and permaculture preps and whatnot that was the ro the rosy rose-colored glasses utopian vision of it i'll, I'll get into the shadow because it's super important a lot of people would say it is a it is a high cost 
very like um, old boys club, patriarchal, sexist, uh, uh, anti-spiritual, overly left brain, top down system of teaching something. So there's a lot of backlash against being sort of, um, well, there's like women have had to fight tooth and nail to become prominent in the movement. So fighting over what is the role of, um, of a more feminine approach to, to nature, a more intuitive approach, a more meditative approach, if, if I may be called, an, a feminist would call me an essentialist for saying that, eco-feminism, but there is a lot of tension around how much woo-woo, how much spirituality, how much magical thinking or psychedelic thinking can we, can we introduce into the, the, the canonical course. So there is, you know, it is just like the Bitcoin narrative. It's like, what was the founder's vision? You know what I mean? Like, who is true to the founder's vision? Who's reading of the white paper? Who's reading of the designer's manual? So there's like that puritanical thing. And there are definitely people who are, it's not permaculture if, it, if there's any plastic. It's not permaculture if, you, if it's not free you can't sell anything so there's all kinds of um just everything you could expect and more because there is this delusion you know that it can be the most utopian and the most pure thing out there and of course you get humans involved in the mix and you get all this drama and so there's i mean you look at the back to the land movement of the 70s which i'm a product of i'm my very much ruined life came from the follies of my parents generation trying to rush back to the land and not really having a clue so much. They tried, you know, I'd say some of them did their best. I don't know too much. I mean, my parents did some pretty amazing things with their projects, but, but they all mostly failed. And it was all human bullshit, mostly. Nature would have been very forgiving if they would have gotten along, but, uh, but they got seduced by, by shiny things and, uh, and ran back to the cities. And now you're just going to see these phases going around in circles. But, uh, but definitely there's a lot of gender dysfunctionality in permaculture. There's a lot of spiritual dysfunctionality. And, uh, and it's, it's, um, it, but as with anything, new, more enlightened, more informed generations come up and they replace the sort of less... Um, open-minded or the more rigid kind of old old paradigm hyper-masculine kind of um, grip on things and so I think it's move, moving trending towards becoming more healthy and it's a growing movement all over the world in fact uh, during the Obama administration there was a permaculture there was like a, a White House sustainability award given to I think it was UMass Amherst, whose uh, permaculture team of students converted their school cafeteria to have chefs harvesting um, fresh food for the cafeteria of the college of the university um, from a permaculture garden that they built, and that was what won them that that award. So uh, it, it's happening under under a lot of people's radar. But it is like Bitcoin couldn't be stopped because it was inconsequential. And then once it really got to critical mass, which I would arguably say it has gotten to now, and that isn't even come close to its ultimate potential. Now you can't stop it. Now the ball is rolling and you can't unlearn this or you can't, um, you really can't destroy it. And actually the systems, they're going to, I'm planting systems that are going to live way longer than me. And the way that we carve the earth, the terraces and what we call swales to harvest rainwater, they're going to be around for thousands and thousands of years until the earth is hit by a meteor or, or, or the, the oceans flop around again. This is like permanent. That's the whole point. I didn't even say that. Permanent culture, permanent agriculture. And, and the sweetest, one of the sweetest parameters that Jeff Lawton likes to say, uh, and I keep bowing down to him because he's my favorite dude in this, but he says, we're designing systems that you could have built a thousand years ago and that you could build a thousand years from now. And that is, that is all about 
the earth bank and regenerative food, fuel, fiber, feeding livestock. Like you should be able to grow the food for your livestock, grow the, I mean, could you imagine growing your own dog food? I mean, you don't even know how horrific, not you, but people don't know how horrific the supply chain is for their pet food. And then you throw it away. You don't even compost it. What an insult to the, to the planet to, uh, to uh, spend all this energy to have all this pet food so that you can have a perverse relationship with the domesticated animal and not to offend anybody, but like, I like to give pets jobs so that they have pride and not just to be my emotional crutch. That's, that's mutual. It can be mutual, but like, man, when you get animals to do things like chickens turning your compost for you and adding nutrient to it, ducks eating snails that would otherwise be eating your, your leafy greens and they're producing eggs and they are fertilizing water and creating a liquid fertilizer that you can spread around. And of course, what there's pigs can be run through, um, through food forests where you have a, a forest garden, you build trees as the sort of framework for a garden. And then when the fruits fall and the flies uh, larva colonizes the fruit, rather than spreading and taking over with no resistance, you bring in the beneficial natural predator that would eat them and then maintain and balance that out. So there's always everything eats something else. One species output is another species input. And we're just out of sync with that. And, and then we want to say, oh, pristine nature, like you probably get this from like, survival international cultural survival like if you're looking at fourth world what's happening to the last first peoples they they're being um, pushed so far out of their own hunting grounds saying oh the national government is going to come in and say this is now a forest preserve we'll keep hacking down the rainforest on the other side of the, uh, of the uh, country but like here oh well environmentalists in the west are saying we need to preserve nature so we're going to kick out the indigenous people who are a central part of that jenga game of that ecosystem push them out feed them dead toxic food from the west and and separate them so they start their teeth start falling out their guts start blowing up and they start fighting and going to war and they get pushed into brothels and they get pimped for the rest of their their the generations of their their lineage and that's happening and has happened all over the world and meanwhile the government can say give us our carbon credit we got our natural preserve we kicked the indigenous people out made them into refugees and won't let them get back in and then now poachers go in and still kill the wildlife and we don't even do shit about it could take that a million directions but everything gardens is is one of the hashtags and uh, the solutions to all the world's problems are to be found in the garden you think about okay how much money and time are you wasting with all that time that we don't have in the modern world to go to the gym and pay the gym and then go to the grocery store and pay the grocery store and then go to the doctor and pay the doctor and then go to work and basically spend time in traffic and maybe not even make that much. And then at the end of the month, the money's gone and you're back to zero. Whereas in the garden, you're getting exercise in the garden. Oh, I forgot the therapist in the garden. You're not, you are your own therapist and your plants around you. They're making you feel very important and very integral to the system. And it's not only rich with smells, you get aromatherapy, you get to meditate, you get the sounds of birds, you get meditative sounds. And there's a Taoism component, if you want to get spiritual, where like, this is very self-styled spirituality. But if you can knock out your fitness or you knock out your gym bill and take that time and money back and buy seeds and, and garden tools, and then you stop going to your shrink because you don't need to anymore because you're protected by the elemental spirits of your garden that you cultivate, beauty of that and the, the, the love that you have there, the heartwarming love that you have, knock that bill out, 
now you're getting fit again. You're getting mentally healthy. Um, if you can build a business off, out of your garden, which people do microgreens out of a garage, do aquaponics, like you can solve all of your personal problems. And also, I think it's very good for relationships because how resilient can a romantic relationship be if you don't, if your kids don't care about you anymore because they're on devices? A family grows in a garden. What families that garden together, they're going to stay together and they're going to pass off not a toxic wasteland in debt to the government like all the farms that are going in foreclosure are doing now. They're going to pass on a legacy and they're indigenous cultures around the world who steward trees with multi-thousand year life cycles. So my little human life in the in the grand narrative of this that avatar like culture that avatar world is like i'm only here to manage in my lifetime this one fraction of the life cycle of this tree which provides a shade fruit habitat we can burrow into its roots that are the size i mean people i've seen people i think in the philippines where they they actually use massive fig tree roots to build living bridges across creeks that last for thousands and thousands of years. Like to just imagine like the cells, the way they pop in and out of um, existence in our bodies. If the organism of a human engineered sustainable ecosystem carries on for literally tens of thousands of years before agriculture, as we call it, the uh, plow agriculture, the gardeners of because hunter-gatherers, they, they don't not garden. They definitely garden. Everything gardens. It's just a matter of degrees of whether it's camouflaged in nature or if it's displaced. You're, you're wiping out and mowing down and chopping down everything and turning it to dust. That's the centralized death culture Monsanto model for profit and for exploitation. But the, the natural, you know, ancient way is that we come into our lifetimes and we steward the, the the ecosystem of our ancestors for the seven generations ahead and it's just so interesting because you can you can re, you can reboot that whole script on your kitchen sink with the sprout jar the marvel that happens when people see that for the first time it's like the first time you get a bitcoin transaction from your friend who was like beating you senseless with the bitcoin club until finally you let them send you a dollar of it and you watched it go to a dollar and five cents, and then you lost your mind and you never got it back. And now you're rich. You know what I mean? If you held, if you were a hodler, you're fucking sitting pretty right now. And, uh, and that's the transformation that happens with school gardens, with um, there's, uh, there's people that teach about composting shitters, something that the biggest taboo for people is like, oh my God, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to look at it. But then I will guarantee you, you will have a spiritual palpable experience the first time you say to yourself, I just made a, a rich deposit of nutrient and seeds back into the earth bank that is going to feed and nourish so millions and actually probably billions and trillions of microbes and then all the way up the food chain to where if I take a shit, I will not be surprised if I die under the shade of the tree that grew out serendipitously out of one of the shits that I took and, and composted and buried or I spread the compost. I mean, that's what all this is. Mammals, what we do, we eat mostly fruits, honestly, uh, and mostly vegetables that want to be eaten in their natural form without heavy processing, without even heavy cooking. I'm not a huge raw food proponent, but, but I will say that I mean, if you imagine, what would it be like if you value hodling and you value low time preference thinking and you say every piece of food I put in my mouth, if there's a seed in there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick them out one by one and I'm going to save them. I'm either going to sell them or I'm going to plant them or give them away as gifts. And then with the seeds I swallow, I'm going to shit them out into a bucket. 
I'm going to quarantine the the pathogens in that shit bucket for at least a year, and then it's inert biologically with the pathogens so that I can then actually use it in composting for for trees. Like you wouldn't spread that on your veggie garden for risk reasons. So people are very smart and hygienic about where they apply that that uh, composted shit product. But not only is there all that um, that uh, plant um, feed in that in that, but also it's filled with seeds, and that's that's the way. I, like there's coyotes all around me, and they eat all of these um, these these wild perennial uh, herb berries, and I just see this seed cake coming out of them, and it's like a perfect seed bomb that will dissolve in the rains and sink in, and just add to this beautiful cornucopia, the symphony of seed and soil, and you actually work less and the, the longer this stuff matures put in some upfront energy and and then you sit back and if you, if it stinks or it's high maintenance you are doing it wrong that is one thing i think we all agree on in permaculture and that's why it sucks because you think about farms god i don't even want to say that word i say that word and i want to puke because every time i think about an experience of being anywhere near a farm it is the most toxic dead zone of accumulation of uncomposted manure uh, they're shooting up all the animals with uh, with with antibiotics and causing the majority i think of antibiotics actually go into animals so that they don't just completely die from all the diseases that are being i mean that's the wet market thing that's like hey you won't you don't want pandemics you need to have hygienic food systems it's all coming from that i mean you can't hide from that unless you want to live in a bubble and be bubble boy forever i'd rather be the sewer rat like andreas says i will i will be more resilient having a more rich and diverse gut flora profile and more exposure to the soil and you're probably also where they're discovering now that children who did not grow up in proximity to the 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 um like their immune system doesn't cut its teeth on the soil biology that would naturally be coming in through contact playing in nature and better yet gardening and composting in nature but if you you get autoimmune disorders you get uh, all of those bowel issues and they're just discovering more and more that uh, we're, we're we're cutting babies out of women's um, stomachs without letting them absorb the natural vaginal flora that's going to build their gut biome and we're not letting them be in nature at all so they're all bubble children and it's asthma it's chronic all kinds of um inflammation and chronic all kinds of uh of allergies and of course the food itself if you can call it that is filled with even more toxins so don't worry about not having a green thumb if anybody out there is like i've never gone to a nursery and purchased a plant before or i have and i bought like a tomato plant and it died well here's a great secret to build your your sort of psychological um confidence in this rosemary uh, and, and rosemary, I would say if just you could buy one thing, it's rosemary because it's like bulletproof. It'll survive. It's very drought tolerant most of the time. And you pick one little little rosemary leaf off and it's almost like a pine needle, right? But it's very soft. It's very fragrant. fragrant. Some people will say it has magical healing properties. You can use it for tea. You can put it in breads. If you're into breads, um, you can put it in soups. There's a million applications for it, and it is probably one of the most resilient plants, and then it will just take off on its own. You have a giant fucking bush of it, and you won't be able to stop it. It attracts bees. It has beautiful flowers, and uh, and it is a value add to your life, and you can put that on a windowsill. If you have one tiny crack of light coming through your fogged-out bathroom window, you can grow mint, which is very also bulletproof and unstoppable. You can grow rosemary, and then that's like getting your first Bitcoin 
wallet transaction and you see that grow and you experience it and now you're hooked it's going to change your life <laughs> and uh but it's sad when people make that wrong move and they're like oh wow i i want a garden and they they don't know you know there's a lot of nuance to doing this right and it also i would say expect it to take you a few years before you really feel proficient and you know just like any startup you got to expect go out of pocket for a while there's ways to like uh, to, to navigate that and to just build confidence, build on success, learn from failure, sitting down and really not just closing your eyes and meditating, but going out in nature and peeling back some of that, that litter forest litter drop and being like, what is this white stuff? Oh my God, this is like going everywhere. That's the hypho, the fungi, fungi hyphy network that is the original organic internet. And if you get into that and the intelligence of that, and you think about, wow, this is like, <laughs> This is the self-healing, regenerative, natural internet that we're trying to approximate. I don't know anybody who doesn't like fine dining, who doesn't appreciate the taste of a chef. And the chefs are like my, the targets for this intelligence psychological operation of who are the key leverage point players in the world who are going to make this movement a revolution. The chefs who fucking know the difference between grocery store, watery tomatoes filled with toxins and poisons and, and one that's freshly grown. And they pay the premium to people like me because they have fucking taste and they bank on that taste. So there's the boutique niche of all this too, which no, you're not going to feed the world tomorrow. You're not going to outcompete Monsanto tomorrow with permaculture. That's not what we're trying to say. It's not, it's not delusional in that sense, but it is a, it's a, it's just like anarchism. You know, they say it's a continuum or like Eric Voorhees said, we're not, we can't get rid of all government overnight, but how about less government? How about less toxins? How about less uh, factory farms? And so then there's no reason why not to Heal yourself, strengthen yourself, save money, turn your backyard into a production machine and like actually offset expenses and start to be in the green.